absolute heartbreak. We've all been there. A time where in a man's life, his whole world came crashing in. He was experiencing utter misery of soul, feelings of desperation, profound disappointment. It was as though his soul had gone into shock. He was experiencing unbearable grief and mourning. For this was a father's worst nightmare. This is the story of King David when his son Absalom was trying to kill him. Can you imagine anything worse than having a child try to kill you? Indeed, Absalom had plotted to usurp the kingdom and the throne and to force his father off of the throne. Absalom had positioned himself politically to win the hearts of the Israelites and to seduce them with kindness and with his wisdom. But ultimately, he was trying to conspire against his father and ultimately against God's anointed. What wicked treachery. What heart-wrenching betrayal. The Word of God tells us that King David, the king of Israel, had to therefore flee from the throne, flee from Jerusalem and escape into the wilderness, running from his very own son. You need not turn there, but in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13, a messenger comes to King David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us shall escape from Absalom. Go in haste, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Dear friends, imagine the heaviness of heart. Later on in that chapter in verse 23, it says, While all the country was weeping with a loud voice, all the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. I've been there in this place. Or when you come out of the area where David would have lived and off the Temple Mount, you begin to go down the valley and the brook Kedron is there. And it begins to climb very steeply up the Mount of Olives. And when you get over the Mount of Olives, you begin to descend into a wilderness that would stagger your imagination, dropping all the way down into the Dead Sea Valley. Later on in that text of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 15, in verse 30, it says, And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. And his head was covered and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. This in their culture was a sign of intense grief and mourning. Imagine the scene. 
a displaced king, a grief-stricken father, running for his life into the, one of the most inhospitable wilderness regions in all of the world between Jerusalem and the River Jordan. David and his entourage leaving Jerusalem, quickly fleeing for their lives, running headlong into a place that is so desolate and, and forbidding that only the mighty hand of God could possibly sustain them. I find it interesting that yet once again, David finds safety and refuge in the wilderness, the very wilderness where he had served as a young shepherd boy. It's interesting how often life cycles back around, isn't it? That same region where he experienced the power and protection of almighty God against the bear and against the lion as he protected his flock. Well, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in those seasons of life when suddenly all seems lost. And I know a number of you in this body are there even today with various issues you're struggling with. And that's why today and next Sunday and maybe for a few weeks, I want to bring great comfort to you from the word of God. We've all been there when suddenly we find ourselves enveloped in, in a cloud of, of oppression that is so dark that that we, we don't know which way to go. Those times when we're on the threshold of surrender, where we feel like just giving up, throwing in the towel. We've all had a darkness come into our life that seems to utterly eclipse any glimmer of joy and hope and, and light of mercy and grace and goodness in our life just seems to be Obscured. Fear begins to paralyze the heart with its icy grips. And then our deceitful heart begins to work overtime to somehow convince us that indeed all is lost. God has forgotten us. God has forsaken me. What a tragic lie. And then, after we're sufficiently convinced that God cannot be trusted, desperation steals over our souls and that dreaded helplessness begins to cause our knees to buckle. Buckle under the weight of whatever the burden might be. And all too often we end up cursing God in anger rather than praising God even in the midst of our grief. That's exactly what's, what David did at this time. He praised God. And we're going to use Psalm 63 as a launching pad to Psalm 23. So if you'll turn there, notice what David said as he entered into the wilderness at this time in his life. No doubt as the tears began to dry from his cheeks and as he put his sandals back on to prevent his feet from being scorched by the intensely hot and jagged rocks. Here's what David said. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
Thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise thee. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul is satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. For thou hast been my help, and in the shadow of thy wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to thee, thy right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. What a praise hymn. A praise hymn of confidence in God's glory. And indeed, you may remember the story. God did protect, protect. God did preserve his servant. Absalom's forces pursued David. He had a much, David had a much smaller army. And God gave great wisdom to that old warrior king. And David mobilized his forces to the north in the treacherous forests of Ephraim, north of the Jabbok River and Transjordan. And David's troops defeated the troops of Absalom. The text says that great slaughter occurred of 20,000 men. And in chapter 18 of Second Samuel, verse 8, it says, The battle there was spread over the whole countryside, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Isn't that interesting? And as the story goes, Absalom's hair became entangled in the branches of a great oak tree as his mule rode underneath it. And then Joab, the captain of David's forces, took three spears and thrust them through the heart of Absalom as he hung from that tree. And in verse 15 of Second Samuel 18, it says, And ten young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. Which, by the way, caused further grief to his father, David, who desperately wanted to be reconciled to his rebellious son. Well, child of God, maybe you're here today and perhaps you find yourself in a wilderness. Perhaps you find yourself with some great oppression, some great stress in your life. Maybe it's a rebellious child. Maybe it's a wicked boss or co-worker. Maybe it's an abusive spouse. Maybe your finances have been decimated. Maybe it's some malignancy that is beginning to wreak havoc upon your body. Or perhaps your wilderness is of your own making due to sin or some habit that has brought you to a place of grief. Well, whatever it is, we must beware when we enter into these times of wilderness wanderings, that in the midst of great suffering and confusion, if we're not careful, it's very easy to misinterpret what is really happening between you and God. And very often, in the heat of the battle, 
reason gives way to emotion. And anger and resentment and confusion begins to set in. And then there is a malignant sadness that begins to take over and a numbness and discouragement. When things happen that we don't understand and we can't fully explain, we begin to create a reality that many times is nowhere near the truth. And Satan loves to deceive us in these times and to seize upon such an opportunity as this to bring discouragement And then we begin to distort the character of God and His goodness and His grace and His sovereignty, thinking that He no longer is with me, that somehow He has forsaken me. And then we abandon our faith in reality then of the truth of who God is and how He is involved in our life, intimately involved, gives way to deception. And then joy gives way to despair. I've been there many times, so have you. If you haven't, you will. You young men, you young women in particular, remember that. I told the Sunday school class this morning that there will come a time in your life when all seems lost. And when it happens, oh, I pray that you know the living God in such a way as to be reassured of His goodness and His grace and His sovereignty in the midst of such oppression. But in times like these, when those tempests blow on the great seas of adversity in our life, we need an anchor. My mind goes to a hymn we used to sing when I was a little boy. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Well, back to King David. He was a man after God's own heart, the shepherd king who had struggled in years past with jealous brothers who had struggled with a jealous King Saul who tried to kill him and who struggled profoundly even with his own sin. He struggled later on with a family in turmoil. And now he is once again struggling to survive his own son and even to survive the anguish of soul. Dear friends, it is within this context that many scholars would believe and I would concur with them that David wrote another psalm. A psalm that we all know and one that we have probably put to memory in our hearts. And that is Psalm 23. So will you turn there and today and next week we will endeavor endeavor to open up the great treasure chest of this wonderful psalm of a man who knew who knew not only great suffering but also knew great joy as he embraced the goodness and the grace and the sovereignty of God in the midst of difficult times the lord is my shepherd i shall not want 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here we have a glorious psalm extolling the goodness of God and therefore the importance of having an unwavering faith. Especially in those times where we cannot explain His infinite purposes in our life. This is a powerful text that many thousands have gone to for comfort and for perspective. An oasis, shall we say, in a dry and thirsty soul. One that brings nourishment to those who are on the verge of collapse. Here we have a testimony of God's goodness. The faithfulness of our Savior, the Good Shepherd that would lay down His life for His sheep. Our Savior, our King, our Deliverer. This, dear friends, is a hymn of confidence. It's a deeply personal hymn that arises out of the pathos of a time in a man's life that could be described as indescribable. And yet it reveals rich communion and a rich love that this man had for his shepherd. I want to draw your attention to several things in this psalm today, hoping that you will begin to understand it in a deeper way. And hopefully the glorious truths that come out of this will be truths that you can etch upon your heart and have them as a source of comfort when you walk through even a valley of the shadow of death. First of all, may I remind you that David was not dying here. Oh, he was in agony of soul, to be sure, but he sees himself, in fact, as lying in a green pasture and somehow following the Lord by still waters, even though he was experiencing great gloom in the reality of his life. Nevertheless, he expected... God's rod and staff to comfort him and even ultimately for goodness and mercy to follow him throughout his life. My, what a wonderful perspective. But dear friends, this should always be our perspective amidst great affliction. Knowing that God's rod and his staff will guide and protect and comfort us. And ultimately goodness and mercy will follow. As we look at this psalm, we see there are two metaphors that very accurately and poignantly depict the character of God. First, we see him as a shepherd who is intimately concerned for the welfare of the sheep in verses 1 through 4. And then secondly, we see him as a very gracious host in verses 5 and 6 who lavishly attends to our needs. But this morning we want to look at our Lord as shepherd Go back in your mind, if you will, to David going into the wilderness with his entourage. And think of what he is reflecting upon in light of the pain in his heart. Notice his observations regarding the Lord as our shepherd. First of all, in verse 1, 
we see that he's a personal shepherd. He's a personal shepherd. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, Yahweh, that covenant-making and keeping God, He reflects upon the reality that this is the one who has committed to me to love me and protect me and forgive me and ultimately deliver me. And this is the one that is my shepherd. My, what confidence that brings to an aching heart. My shepherd, indicating a very personal relationship. Now, this is not to minimize the importance of the corporate relationship that we also have with Christ as the Lord of the church, the body of Christ. But we see here the psalmist reflecting upon the very intimate and personal relationship he has with Almighty God. But notice that he sees him as a personal shepherd, a shepherd being one that leads. And here this personal, intimate shepherd is the one that has led him to the place where he's at right now. Even a place of great oppression. Indeed, dear friends, the Lord leads us into the valleys. Sometimes valleys of extreme pain and suffering. And David understood this. He had watched God lead and protect him before, had he not? With Saul, with Goliath. Remember the story? And indeed, the good shepherd gives that marvelous invitation years later when he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because I am a personal shepherd. And secondly, he's an attentive shepherd. He is an attentive shepherd. The text says, I shall not want. Literally meaning, he will supply all that I need you know, friends, oftentimes in trials, we begin to think that God is indifferent, that he's distant, that somehow he doesn't really care. And yet he has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. My Satan would have us believe such deceptions. But in fact, the Lord has promised that he's granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So the key to somehow surviving in the midst of the valley, as we will see more next week, is understanding the reality of who the shepherd is and not getting off track with that, knowing that He is a personal shepherd and He is an attentive, or if you will, a good shepherd. This is the one who, in verse 2, makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, he will lead one to an oasis in that wilderness journey. And if you look in that land, in that wilderness land, you will see that it looks very much like the Mojave Desert that you would see in Southern California. Hardly any growth, jagged rocks, steep cliffs and canyons. But every now and then you will notice in the landscape crevices and canyons of wonderful green where the water runs in beautiful waterfalls such as that place of En Gedi which means Goat Spring where David ran from Saul years before 
and where he used to tend his sheep. And you can go there to this day and in the midst of this terrible rock and desert and oppressive heat, you will see this glorious oasis of jungle that you could go into with beautiful, refreshing water. This is what's in David's mind even in the midst of the anguish of soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's leading me, in other words, even to a place of oasis in this wilderness journey. The very one who has led me into the wilderness will also meet my needs. Isn't that just like our Heavenly Father? Think about it. To allow us to somehow experience the crucible, the crucible of, of adversity to shape our character. And yet in the midst of that, to be careful to make sure that he attends to our needs Charles Spurgeon has said it well, and I quote, I bear willing witness that I owe more to the fire and the hammer and the file than to anything else in my Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I have ever learned anything except through the rod. When my schoolroom is darkened, I see most, end quote. So here we see the psalmist reflecting on the goodness of God as he leads him ultimately to rest and relaxation, to a surplus of divine provision, which again is a testimony of the goodness of God, even in the midst of great suffering. He goes on in verse 2, he says, He leads me beside quiet waters. Once again, another testimony to the shepherd's intimate and sacrificial care of his sheep. Even in the midst of great, great difficulty, he tenderly cares for his own. It's important for you to understand that what this refers to is those times when a shepherd would lie down in water that was running a bit swiftly in order to produce a bit of a calm eddy or harbor or cove so that the sheep could come and drink because the nostrils of a sheep is very close to its lips and it's easy for them to get choked and even to drown. And also if the water is very rough and they move out into it because of their coats, they could very easily become waterlogged and, and get sucked into the water and die. And so it was the oriental custom of that day for a shepherd to break the water's current by lying down in the water and producing still waters. Well, this old shepherd understood that. And he understood how that God does exactly that. And that's why he says here that he leads me beside the quiet waters. Once again, a testimony to an attentive shepherd. My, what a testimony of confidence in a God who cares, right? Who cares for us. Well, he leads us into the wilderness. But child of God, think with me. How could we ever experience such tender mercy? How could we ever experience such care had we first not, had we first not been exposed to the extreme heat of the desert? Had he not brought us into the unbearable anguish of a parched soul? Had He not allowed us to experience the hunger for something, anything that would bring clarity to our life and relieve us from the oppression that seems so unbearable. 
My, how we need to always remember. The next time you think God has forsaken you, remember that, no, no, indeed, he is the one that lies in the water so that I can drink. Isaiah's poignant words in Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 15, perfectly depict the intimate care of our loving God. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will never forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. What a testimony to the intimate care of our Savior. It's as though He has tattooed our names on the palms of His hand. And He sees us even as a mother would see a child at at her breast. What a marvelous comfort we find in such truth. And dear friends, in the midst of the wilderness, when you understand these truths, then you will live consistently with them. And at some level, even though there will be an agony of soul, there will still be a calmness down deep at the bedrock level that knows that the Good Shepherd is intimately concerned for me. And He is sovereignly leading me where I need to go for His namesake, for His glory. And in this, I will rejoice. Verse 3, He restores my soul. Literally meaning He imparts new life. Well, how does He do this? Well, when troubles come our way and our souls cry out for help, like a thirsty man begging for water, it's at this point that the Good Shepherd nurtures us back to life by giving us the cool and and, and refreshing water of His presence, of the glorious truths of who who He is really. This gives us confidence in His sovereign rule and, and comforts us as we understand His Word. Child of God, you will find consolation nowhere else but in the truth of His Word that reveals His character. Have you ever felt the enemy pursue you? Have you ever felt that relentless attack and sometimes that oppression that wants to just bury you? Causing you to want to give up? Well, friends, again, in times of great distress, may I encourage you, at that time, you desperately need perspective. We need truth from His Word because it's at times like that that our hearts would deceive us and have us believe that somehow God has forsaken us. We've been abandoned to the consequences of a wicked world. But the truth is something very different. The truth is He is the Good Shepherd. He is in control. And He is intimately concerned with our welfare. I love what Warren Wearsby says, and I quote, When God permits His children to go through the furnace, He keeps His eye on the clock and His hand on the thermostat. His loving heart knows how much and how long. Isn't that great? Wonderful words of truth. Well, we see here in the psalm that we have a personal shepherd, we have an attentive shepherd, but also... We have a sovereign shepherd. He is the one leading the sheep. Notice in verse 3, he says, He guides me. 
He's the one guiding me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What is his name? Well, his name, as we have studied before, is the sum of all of his attributes, the sum of his character, the essence of his character. And ultimately, as the Lord leads us, he has a goal and his goal is for him to be glorified and ultimately for us to be blessed as we glorify him. So remember this the next time you find yourself in the wilderness or if you find yourself there today, that God is leading you for his namesake. In other words, so that you can learn to trust him more, so that you can learn to experience him more, so that you can learn to understand him more. And therefore, in the midst of the wilderness, you don't come along and shake your fist in God's face and say, God, I demand an explanation. This is unfair. You don't say, God, why are you doing this to me? But instead, you ask him, Lord, what can I do in the midst of this trial to bring glory to you? Because I trust you. You are my personal shepherd, you are an attentive, good shepherd, and you are a sovereign shepherd, and I will glorify you even now in the wilderness. Oh, it's easy to sing, Great is thy faithfulness when all is well, but it is altogether a different matter when all seems lost, right? So how can we learn to trust Him? By submitting to him when he leads us into the valley. To give him an opportunity to prove himself powerful on our behalf. Even verse 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't it interesting? The point here is you have led me here and I will glorify you in the midst of it. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. May I draw your attention to... Some points with respect to this valley of the shadow of death. It's very vivid, vivid imagery. First of all, may I point out that this valley is a place we would never choose on our own. It's a dark, foreboding place, eerie. In these valleys, there's no way around it, only through it. There's no turning back. The eternal purposes of God require us to go through it. And very often these valleys are those that would bring a deep chill and numbness to our bones. I've been in those valleys even in the darkness in a physical way, spending many, many months in the mountains. And I know what that feels like physically. But I also know what it feels like in the valley with my soul, as do many of you when you somehow cower beneath the terrifying images in your imagination. And you, you, you begin to shiver in the dampness of doubt and despair. It's a lonely place, a very narrow path. At times, the steep cliffs on either side and below you increase your fear of falling into something even worse into an abyss that is somehow even worse than what you're experiencing. And those troubles of life begin to seem overwhelming, do they not? 
Sometimes there's a feeling as if you no longer want to live. You know, one of the chief characteristics of the valley of the shadow of death here is that it is just so perilous that you think you'll die. Sometimes you wish you would, and in a word you feel helpless. Boy, don't we hate that as people? It's a place in that valley where no sympathy seems to help. Certainly accusations and rebuke merely add to the cruelty of the horrors. This is spiritual darkness, dear friends. It produces such profound helplessness that if you're not careful, you'll hate life. And you'll begin to start to hate God. Job experienced this in Job 10, beginning in verse 1. He says, I loathe my life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do do not condemn me. Let me know why thou hast contended with me in such a way. Verse 20 goes on and he says, Would he not let my few days alone? Withdraw me that I may have a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of utter gloom as darkness itself, of deep shadow without order where even the light is darkness. Boy, he knew what it was all about. But you remember the story with Job after God intimidated Job with his glory and his eternal purposes. Job's circumstances didn't change, but his perspective sure certainly did. And in Job 42, Job says, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Therefore, he goes on to say, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Oh, child of God, the pathway to joy is both in and through the valley. A place you would never choose on your own. Only a good shepherd would take you there. David Stewart has said it well, and I quote, We know not what the future holds, but take each day as it unfolds. The bitter with the sweet God blends. We wisely take whate'er He sends. His dealings are in wisdom made. The warming sun or chilling shade on mountaintop or in the dell. Our Father doeth all things well. Well, the valley may not be a place we would choose, but who are we to determine what will ultimately glorify God and shape our lives for His purposes? Well, not only is it a place we would not choose, but notice it is a lonely path. You walk it alone. No human being can accompany you there. Only the unseen shepherd can bring comfort. You know, this adds to the bitterness of our cup when we're in the valley. Every attempt by our loved ones and our friends to comfort us or somehow explain what's going on is woefully inadequate. You know that. Those lonely walks through the valleys of suffering become our opportunities to get better acquainted with our shepherd as he strengthens our faith in the valley. David Jeremiah, a wonderful pastor and author, you hear him on the radio from time to time, I really appreciate his material. He's got a book that he's written called A Bend in the Road, and it's a book that uh, basically describes 
his bout with cancer when he was suddenly diagnosed with cancer. And here's what he has to say. And I I thought I would share it with you because it, it spoke to my heart. This is after he found out about his cancer. He says, and I quote, Our spirits basked in the prayers, support, and encouragement of our church family and friends. And we fed on their support and felt strengthened for the battle ahead. But in the midst of all the love and affirmation, it was the Lord. A stronghold in the day of trouble, Nahum 1.7. It was the Lord who knew the needs of my body and soul most deeply. It was He who walked with me through the valley of the shadow. He who lavished upon me a deeper, more personal experience of His presence than I'd ever known before. As I sought refuge in His Word, I found consolation beyond description for my troubled spirit. End quote. What a wonderful testimony. But indeed, the valley is a lonely place. It is a lonely path. And yet we know, as Psalm 139 tells us, that there's nowhere where we can go that's apart from His Spirit, whether... We ascend to heaven or whether we go into the grave, that text tells us, or the remotest parts of the sea. It goes on and it says that even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. What a wonderful promise. You know, many people hate being alone. But I have found that some of the loneliest people are those who never leave the company of a crowd. Because, friends, when you're alone, that's when you really experience the companionship of Christ. You know, as a pastor, often my work leaves me on a mountaintop all alone, sometimes in a valley all alone, and sometimes not even my precious wife can offer comfort there. Spurgeon, again, has summarized this very well. He says, and I quote, For the sheep there are many companions, but for the shepherd there are few those who watch for souls often come into positions in which they are divided from all human help. No one can guess the burden of their soul, end quote. And I understand that. But you know, friends, when you learn to trust God in the midst of utter loneliness, that's when you really learn to trust Him. And David understood this. Isaiah understood it as well. In Isaiah 50 and verse 10, he says, Who is among you who fears the Lord that obeys the voice of His servant, but walks in darkness and has no light? What do you do when you're that way? You love the Lord and you want to serve Him, you want to honor Him, but everything seems dark and you don't know which way to go. Well, Isaiah goes on and answers that and he says, Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Lord, there is El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. Think upon His name. Don't lose perspective, dear friends. Think upon who God really is. He is our rock and our refuge and our strength and our fortress, our deliverer, our shelter, our shield. And it goes on and on and on. Well, this path would be a path we would never choose. And it is a lonely path. But thirdly, notice it is a well-traveled path. Many have gone on ahead of you, dear friends. So often I hear people lamenting, Oh, nobody knows the misery that I feel. And it's easy to wear the badge of suffering as a badge of honor and wanting everybody to pick up on your cues of misery, expecting people to somehow give you sympathy. Oh, be careful with that. Remember the Lord condemning the Pharisees for that. 
Remember in Matthew 6, he says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. But may I encourage you, friends, in the midst of the valley, don't publish your sorrows. Oh, I'm not saying there's not a place for tears. And I'm not saying there's not a place to share your tears with others, but may I encourage you to wear them under under a smile that knows that God's in control. And conceal your misery under a countenance that, that rests fully in His sweet providence and, and knows full well that many others are in the valley with you. There's enough sorrow in the world without us adding to it with our long faces and our hunched backs and our shuffled steps. But may I encourage you to let the Lord pick up on the cues of your heart rather than requiring others to do so. He has the resources. We don't. And one fourth and final observation this morning. I want to remind you that it is not always a sinful pathway. It's not a sinful pathway. Not always is sin the root of sorrow in some valley. It certainly wasn't when Jesus was in the garden and He said, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Often folks condemn themselves and even others condemn them. Remember Job's counselors? What a tragic thing that was. But instead, many times, and and by the way, sometimes it can be a valley of your own making. But even in that, God is gracious to see you through the other side because it is always a valley of sanctification for the child of God. This is especially important when you feel like you're at your wit's end and you have no resources to know that God is sanctifying you. And I close with this thought this morning. I remember Bunyan's words in Pilgrim's Progress when he was in the valley of the shadow of death, you may recall in the story that Pilgrim drew his sword when he entered the valley of the shadow of death, the sword which is the word of God, the very sword that he had used earlier to defeat Apollyon. But when it came to the terrors of the darkness of the valley, he found himself unable to combat the demons of the mind. Reason seemed to have no value and various forms of of ridicule and shame and guilt and doubt left him defenseless. How tragic it is when the hideous shapes and shadows of those types of things lurk within our souls in the midst of such valleys. When terror and fatigue begin to drive us to despair. And you know, sometimes even the sword of truth seems ineffective. And I'm not saying therefore it is and you shut it. But I am saying that, dear friends, there are times where all you can do, even in the richness of all your theology, is cry out to God for help and wait upon Him until the mysterious trouble passes. But wait on him with confidence, knowing that it will. And Bunyan, in light of this, said, Yea, though I walk through the valley shaded by the mysterious wings of death, and though I know nothing of my way and cannot understand it, yet I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou knowest the way that I take. 
There are no mysteries with my God. Thou hast the thread of this labyrinth, and thou wilt surely lead me through. Why should I fear thy rod and thy staff? They comfort me. Gloom, danger, mystery, these three all vanish when faith lights up her heavenly lamp trimmed with the golden oil of promise. Well, I must leave you here today. Hopefully your perspective of the shepherd is more accurate than it was before we began this morning. And next week we will look more about the shepherd and and understand more of how we are to walk in the valley. And I want to leave you with Fanny Crosby's great words as as a, even as a, an older teenager, one that was blind, she had a depth of theology and a trust in the Savior that, uh, that I only hope I can attain someday. Here's what she said. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for these wonderful words of truth that bring such comfort to our souls. Lord, thank You that You are the one that even leads us into the valley. And You are the one that will lead us to the other side. Lord, thank You that in fact You are the one that intimately cares and attends to all of our needs. Lord, may we trust You more fully. Lord, may these glorious promises bring courage and comfort to any soul that is in anguish even here today. And Lord, if there's one here today that knows You not as their Savior, oh, Spirit of God, move upon their heart with such profound conviction as to cause them to prostrate themselves before You and experience the miracle of the new birth that You long to give them. I pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to pastor, Bible teacher, and author David Harrell. For more information or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harrell's messages, please visit olivetreeresources.org.